Hello aliens, welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, Spooky Uncle John. With me, as always, are my millennial falcons, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder, and Pyre Lily, aka Ren. Our Techno Mage. Yay! Yay! Oh, we couldn't do it without our Techno Mage. <laughs> <laughs> On my Facebook memories, a year ago, I started to advertise for Area 51 and a half. And now look at me. I'm part of the group. Yay! Yay! Because I know nothing about tech. <laughs> Yay. Hey, guys, uh, we had a lot of fun this weekend, didn't we? Yes, oh we gosh. did. London Comic Con. We got to go there. We got to uh, associate with our fellow fans and of different properties. Right? The fellow nerds. Yeah, the I, fellow geeks. I saw a whole bunch of my friends, and it was great. Yeah. I I was saying to Nick earlier while we were... Uh, by the way, Ren has just flown in from work, so if you happen to hear a few little tiny chewing noises... Or she's, fork. She's having I'm her, sorry. She's having her dinner. She is multitasking in a way that only our techno mage can. Please but, apologize harder. But I was saying to Nick, why do I always miss Naya? Every time. Every time. Every time. Like, I, I, I got home, it's like, you guys have pictures posing with Naya, and I'm just like, where was I? We were all there together. Where was I at that point? Yeah. I, you know. You were, we were, it was our, we were doing our, I think it was our first walkthrough, and you had fallen behind to look at something. So it's but your own he, fault, really. But then he came up to the double doors where... Uh-huh. He was making a phone call, and we all were standing there, and that was, I have no idea. I'm sorry. Always have, every single time. It's like, it's almost like she doesn't exist. I feel like, (laughs) I feel like because our main topic is puppets, right? Is Naya a fever dream? Uh, She could be, but to me, to me, she's almost like Mr. Snuffleupagus in the early days, where Big Bird was trying to convince everybody that Mr. Snuffleupagus was real. But the diff- the main difference is, is we have photo proof. So of course both of us have Photoshop skills. So that it doesn't could help. be trickery. It could be trickery. I'm not sure Naya not. even exists. <laughs> I think you are pulling the wool over my eyes. But anyway, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I got to meet some of the celebrities that were there. Met Dave Foley. Yep. From Kids in the Hall. What I have to say, what a pleasant man he is. Oh my God, I had so much fun with him because there was this huge lineup of people to see Veronica Taylor, who voices Ash in Pokemon. And, well, and I had to go through that line just to get up to see Dave Foley that nobody was in line for at that point. And I jokingly said, I can't believe I had to wait through that huge line to come and see you. It's like, hey, everybody, Dave Foley is here. And he says, yeah, but I'm no Pokemon. <laughs> I'm no Pikachu, is what he said. I am no Pikachu. So we had a good laugh and a good yeah. uh, start off with that. Uh, one of the other people that I got to meet was, um, pardon me as I got a little dry there, uh, was Mindy Sterling. Mindy yeah. Sterling played Frau Vicina in the Austin Powers series and one of the Grinch's adopted aunts in the Grinch. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I had to ask her. I had to ask her, she said, you worked with Jim Carrey, you worked with Mike Myers. We know what these guys are like. Which one was harder to work with in that term of, you know, just basically being a crack-up? So it's a 50-50 shot here, guys. Which one did you think she said? Mike Myers. Jim Carrey. You're right, Nick. She said that oh. Mike Myers was a little more playful. Which, oh. 
The only reason I knew that is because I've read different stories about both of them. Right. And Jim Carrey, while being a complete crack up himself, does tend to be, at least at that time period, a little more yeah. um a little more uh professional. Right. For right. lack of a better term. So um, so Minnie Sterling was a lot of fun because as they were posing for pictures, she has this whole idea of like, okay, let's do this and let's do that. And it was it was such a crack. We were, I was cracking up the entire time because, okay, now let's do one like the, the girl that was taking her picture for us. Let's do one like she just put out the biggest, nastiest fart. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. And, you know, and let's do one like we just heard the funniest joke ever, right? So as we're doing this, I, and, you know, she's she said, okay, that was really great. I said, can we just do one more? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. What, what do you want to do? And I said, because we've done all this and I'm going to send the pictures to Ren so we can post them. I said, can we recreate that scene where after you and Dr. Evil have had the the romantic tryst and you're doing the it got weird <laughs> so that we can do that full story of me doing all these things with Mindy Sterling. And then the last picture is like, yeah, it got weird. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, she is. She was a real delight. And, you know, and one of your favorites, one of my favorites, favorite wrestler ever, Jake, Jake the Snake, Snake Roberts. Roberts was there. And I went up and I met him, shook his yeah. hand. Um, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Just It was a very brief conversation. Um, I thanked him for his work. We talked a little bit of his Hall of Fame ring and all that. Yeah. Talked a little bit about Sergeant Slaughter. Right. And yeah, it was just nice to, to finally meet him. Um, he's been through a lot, and I'm. It's great he's still got work going, and yeah. I'm just I'm happy for him. Yeah, yeah, he seems to have gotten his, his life together. Uh, we saw that doc- documentary about yeah. that, and yeah, you know, just I, I'm I'm glad for that. Lou Ferrigno was also there, played the yep. Incredible Hulk. I've already met Lou Ferrigno, so I didn't really bother with with that. Um, and Tara Spencer Narn was there from Corner Gas, Canadian sitcom. Oh, my God. And I had said to her (laughs) when I was talking to her, I said, I honestly think that Corner Gas is probably one of the best Canadian shows since The Beachcombers. And she leans forward. She says, don't tell Dave fully that. (laughs) So now that you've sparked my brain right off, I was walking through the, the, the front hallway upstairs. And this woman passes by me and on her on her way to the washrooms. And I'm like, oh, she looks really familiar. It was her. <laughs> Nick, don't feel bad. Quick story, because I know we got a lot to talk about today. It's, picture it, 1990s, maybe 2000. I sure can't thing remember. Still getting. Yeah, it's <laughs> 1990s. Red Tail, we talked about this. I think I might yes, have told this story, yes. right? So don't yeah. feel bad, because I didn't know that Sean Connery stayed around the area, and it's like, Close to Christmas, and we're in the old liquor store, and I see this man with the tweed hat, very tall, has the beard, very rugged, and I say to my friend, who is buying the liquor, that man looks just like Sean Connery. The man gets a smirk on his face, giggles a little bit, we leave. We depart. Halfway to our destination, I go, oh my god, and they're like, what is it? That was Sean Connery. I have a quick story now. My turn. Um, so... I went to Fan Expo and was standing in line with the cryptid that is Naya um, (laughs) and waiting for Hayden Christensen and to get an autograph. And these people next to us were like, yeah, uh, so my like sister lives in Uxbridge and will send me pictures and be like, 
that Star Wars guy is here in the grocery store. Like, <laughs> is this a big deal for you? <laughs> and the people are like, wait, you mean he's just buying groceries and, and you get to see him? And this is just like, yeah, I don't understand the big deal. Like, why are people paying $200 well, to see Hayden Christensen? <laughs> years ago, I went to Toronto with a friend just for a day trip. And we saw, like, this, like there was a SWAT team and there was, like, all these cars, like, police cars. Something was going down. And we're just like, well, I don't know what that's all about, but we carry on. As we're walking down the street, heading back to our destination from where we parked, David Carradine passes us. And I quickly look and I said, wait, was that, was, was that David Carradine? <laughs> and sure enough, as we get down there, it's like, oh, they're filming Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. That was the SWAT team and everything. And so this was like my first foray into professional background work. They wanted an extra with a camera to take a picture. And, you know, like that's not how you get on sets, right? You're, you're hired ahead of time. I said to my friend, give me a camera. So I take the camera and in we go and I, 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 I infiltrate the scene. I pretend I'm snapping pictures and I leave. Somebody kind of gets the idea that maybe I'm not a regular part of the extras. And at that point, I said, okay, let's go. And we go. And so later on, when that episode airs, there I am, smacking the camera, because that's what the director wanted. Oh. <laughs> they owe me money. <laughs> they owe me money. Anyway, on that note, Nick, reminder aliens how they can get a hold of us. You can find us on social media. That's Twitter, TikTok. Instagram at the Area 51H. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half. Same thing with YouTube. And of course, don't forget to check out our Patreon page because frankly, uh, we need money. Um, <laughs> I need to buy groceries. They're so expensive. I will have some new blooper reels up on Patreon within the next week. Ooh. And we're working on some stickers and a few other goodies as well. Ooh, they haven't told me this at all. So, on that note, it's time for Nick's Pop Culture Roundup. All right, so quick Pop Culture Roundup this week. Mortal Kombat 1 dropped just the other day to not a great reaction. Um, <laughs> to the point that some owners of the game on Nintendo Switch are actively asking for a refund Ooh. because the graphic, like, okay, the Switch graphic compared to, the Switch graphics compared to the Xbox and the new PS5 and all that is not that great. But the 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 downgrade in the graphics from, it, from Mortal Kombat 1 on Xbox and PS to switch is so monumentally bad that people are so upset with it. Now, to add to that, and th this is kind of a take it or leave it thing, but people are people are really unhappy with the game in general because a lot of features that they that was in Mortal Kombat 11. Yes, we're going from 11 to one. Don't, don't, just don't. Um, are not featured, but. The thing is, and this is why I say take it or leave it. People were upset when Mortal Kombat 11 came out. They were they wanted they wanted it to be more like Mortal Kombat 10. This happens. It's it's cyclical. The next thing will happen with the next Mortal Kombat game. So, me personally, it looks. I will get it on PS5. I'm not getting it for my Switch. It looks pristine as heck. 
on PS5. So I'll get it for that. Um, but probably I'll wait till it comes down in price. Just well, just like I did with the other Mortal Kombat games. It's not something that's not a thing I need to get right now. Mm. But still, I I just well, you were, you were watching me play Mortal Kombat 11 before you uh, before we started recording. And man, do I love me some brutal fatalities. <laughs> yes, you do. That was in a word disgusting. <laughs> Well, the part the part where he pops the guy's brain out the fa- the front oh. of his head from behind is just ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> well, aliens. Apparently, I have to leave the room because they're going to do a little spoiler alert that I don't want to be spoiled for. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Should we do a sound effect for when John leaves the room? No, no. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Continue. Okay, so to add on to your roundup, can we talk about the Ahsoka episode? It's going to have to include a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. It's been a week. But anyway, can we just talk about how Ahsoka and Anakin broke the entire internet? Like, not only did they have Hayden Christensen back, which we all knew was going to kind of happen. We had the feeling his name was on the list. But then they have... Little Ahsoka, they have like season, what, three, four Ahsoka, and then they have season seven Ahsoka, and they put them on the screen, and then they have all the flipping back and forth with Vader and Anakin, and Vader and Anakin, and then the lightsaber attack, oh my god, and then the scene, just the one scene that got me that I had to rewatch before I even finished the episode was when her eyes turned red for the mere second Basically showing, I saw something online. It was showing Vader that, or showing Anakin, I guess, that even though she had seen the dark side and could use the dark side, she wasn't letting it control her. Mm -hmm. Unlike Anakin. And in that one moment, he's realized, oh, you can almost see it. Like when she grabs his saber, he realizes like, oh, she did what I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so did she bring balance to the force? Oh, I'm going to throw that out there. Anakin did bring balance to the force, but because of Ahsoka. Anyway, so here's the deal. Um, going back to Hayden Christensen for a second. Yeah, we all knew he was going to be there, but nobody was prepared for it. And in that Clone Wars armor, oh my god, oh, that Captain was amazing Rex, to see. Captain and Rex. Rex, oh, let's take a moment for Rex. We all love Rex. I do. I love okay. Rex so much. Anyway, that kind of broke. Broke the internet, yeah. I believe. It's all over my Facebook. It's all over my Google search. Um, it's all over Facebook, all over Reddit, all over Twitter. It and was insane. I'm going to watch it again, and I'm going to cry. I just, I, oh my God. It was amazing. It was a work of art. You know, everything aside with the other Star Wars television shows, so far, Ahsoka has been a complete barn burner. Like, it has been so good. And absolutely wild. It's because Dave Filoni is writing for his baby again. Yeah. And he won't let anyone ruin her. And oh my god, the Purgles. Ah, Purgles. I love it so much. Oh, it was so good. We'll get John back in now so we can continue. So, guys, um, don't know what you talked about. I guess I'll I'll try to get caught up before <laughs> I review this episode. 
Uh, thank you for the spoiler alert. We talked about the part where Batman showed up on Star Wars. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then get off the gray and get you, off the white and munch pipe on the Girls last night. Okay, shut up. Uh, <laughs> so, um, TIFF wrapped up recently. Yeah. Uh, Toronto International Film Festival. Near and dear to every Canadian's heart of about three generations. Mm-hmm. They had a documentary on Mr. Dress Up. To right, yeah. our listeners in the United States of America... Mr. Dressup is kind of the equivalent of Mr. Rogers. Okay, there was obviously differences in the show. It won the fan favorite for documentary. Like, of course it's going to, because, like, there's uh, an article that I read. It's like, I don't know who this is, but if you mention uh, Mr. Dressup, Canadians everywhere lose their crap. <laughs> you know? If there is one thing I've learned in my years here, it's do not insult Mr. Dressup. No. No, you cannot. Canadians are nice until you insult Mr. Dressup. Then you're you're lost. You, we will you, we will end you. We will end you. You we will bury you in the Bay of Fundy. We will never find you. But the the cool thing about that though is the connection between Mr. Dressup and Fred Rogers. Yeah. Right? Ernie Combs and Fred Rogers. They were like the closest of friends. They were actually here doing a children's show called Butternut Square. And then Fred Rogers going to move to the States and do Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, yeah. right? So Butternut Square was kind of the forerunner of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Here's a Canadian connection for you guys. Um, but the cool thing is that Ernie Combs was going to go with him. And Fred Rogers, I'm paraphrasing, like it's not the exact wording that he used, but he basically said, you know, Ernie, you can come, of course, be part of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and be like a second banana. Probably would have wound up being Mr. McFeely or something like Probably, that. Probably, really. yeah. Or you can stay here because the CBC was like, well, we want a children's uh, program. Hey, Coons, you want to stay here and be Mr. Dress Up? Or you can stay here and be the star of your own show, which ran like well into the 90s, you know, right up until he passed away kind of thing, right? College students would watch Mr. Dress Up. It was amazing. And what was funny about it is when I was in college, we had to do a project on, we had to make posters, right? We were right, learning yeah. how, to, how to do things as part of the, you know, flyers and all that kind of stuff. So because I am me, Judith Lawrence, who owned the rights to Casey and Finnegan, which were the puppet companions to Mr. Dressup, right. had retired and she took Casey and Finnegan with her. So I think there was an episode where Mr. Dressup is saying goodbye to Casey and Finnegan as they're eating themselves off to college or something like that. So because Casey and Finnegan just were not there anymore, and there was this all these other puppets that I, don't, I have no idea who they were, I had to be that guy. For my poster, I made a missing person's poster and put Casey and Finnegan on it. That's hilarious. Class cracked up, got an A, and, and marks for originality. <laughs> Anyway, we are talking about puppets today. We are. Yeah, I just mentioned two iconic ones for uh, for Canada, Casey and Finnegan. The interesting thing about Casey, like well ahead of his time, Casey was actually designed to be androgynous. So Casey could either be a boy or a girl, depending on what how you're watching it and what your interpretation was. Really? So there are people that actually grew up thinking Casey was a girl, and there's people like me who grew up thinking Casey was a boy. That's really progressive. Yeah. 
And they wanted it that way because they didn't want to exclude any child. And they just said, well, let them, and then, let them interpret Casey however they want. Because then they can feel connected to a character right. in the show. Now, what cracks me up about that is Casey and Finnegan lived in a treehouse in the backyard. Where the hell were children's services? <laughs> That's fair. I'm okay. I, that, that, that is a whole other episode about the, the treatment of children in children's TV shows. I'm coming for Dora's parents. <laughs> but we are talking about puppets today. And when we decided to talk about puppets, iconic puppets, puppets in pop culture, I didn't realize, honestly, like it seemed like such a simple premise, right? Oh, but no. But my goodness me, we have discovered that it is a Grand Canyon full of iconic puppetry. Nick, start us off in, in the Victorian era. Well, before we continue, I just want to just say, when I started researching this, it opened the floodgates on stuff that I thought was a fever dream. Something that I, <laughs> I had glimpsed in my, my, my sleeping mind. Nope. Yeah. Nope. There were some just really weird shows out there. So. No, I, I know exactly what you mean, because one of my fever dreams, and I, I thought, I'm pretty sure this was there when I was a child, but because I remember me telling you that back in the day when I was a child child, it was all local television. Right, yeah. So everything had to be filler. Sometimes there weren't commercials. Um, you know, it, it started, your day started and ended with a test pattern and the national anthem and all that kind of stuff. So there isn't a lot of this, the local stuff that is kept. I, I thought that something like Snail Grove Snail was a fever dream and it was like this puppet show about these sea creatures that was on i don't know if it was on like channel 13 or channel 11 out of hamilton or kitchener or wherever but i loved it and i watched it and i i forgotten all about it until we started thinking about this and i went did that exist well that same thing happened with me and one of the ones i'm going to bring up later on completely forgot about it until i did the research for this and then i'm like Oh my good lord, I did watch this as a child. Wow. <laughs> We're just going to note real quick that we are not talking about some of the most iconic puppets around Sesame Street, the Muppets, Muppets. Yeah. Fraggle Rock. We're not talking about Jim Henson because yeah. that's a show unto itself. Yeah. So, yes, they are iconic puppets. Yes, we all love them. No, we do not forget about them. We just don't want to open that floodgate. Yeah. And what a floodgate that <laughs> is. Yeah. So, and yeah, right, anyway. So, so pop culture, it's as we know it, as we discussed, probably started in the 1950s, but there were things going on way prior to that. Part of the pop culture back in a uh, hundred or more years ago, shall we say? So Victorian era, I'm not, pop culture, okay, but a common show for kids back in the way back in the day, back in the Victorian era, was Punch and Judy. Punch and Judy, yeah. Punch and Judy. Um, Punch and Judy was a show that was a regular in the UK seaside towns, and it'd be a guy in this little box with two hand puppets called Punch, uh, Mr. Punch and Judy. Yeah. Or is it Dr. Punch? Sorry, yeah, Mr. Punch and Judy. And it would be a series of... Um, of misadventures that would lead to slapstick comedy. Yeah. And that, I, I can't sit here and say that that started the popularity of puppets, but definitely it, it, it made it commonplace that puppets would appear 
for children's shows. And for entertainment purposes. And entertainment purposes, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you bring up Punch and Judy because that actually is the influence for the first iconic puppet team that we're actually going to talk about when television starts becoming a thing in North America and the world because prior to that, it was radio. Yeah, and prior to that, it was vaudeville. Yeah, and prior to that, hey, Punch and Judy. Um, And that is... In the 1940s, 1947 to be precise, Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. They were probably one of the first puppet shows that was on television. So what Kukla, Fran, and Ollie was, was that there was a puppet named Kukla. He was a little bit of a clown. And there was another puppet named Ollie, who was a dragon who had one tooth. And Fran was a human. She was a a comedian. And so they had these sketches with Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, and it was designed to be a children's show, but adults loved it more than the kids did, and it became an adult show, like a a sitcom, and adults would tune in to watch the adventures of Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. And it's really so fascinating to see that, because I remember being a child, and a lot of the things that we're going to talk about were still around, you know, either showing up uh, hither and yon on, yeah. on guest appearances. So I actually have seen Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Um, but like early 70s, like they might have been on Captain Kangaroo or something like that, you know? So it's it's really fascinating that some of these puppets that we're going to talk about had a life of their own and just have gone through the decades. So we're starting the, with the 1940s with, um, it was... Sorry, Kukla, can you say it? Because I'm going to screw it out. Kukla, Fran, and Kukla, Ollie. Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Okay. Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. So, and again, Punch and Judy, UK. UK has used puppetry to entertain in many different ways for decades upon decades upon decades upon decades. Um, going back to the 1950s, and you were laughing at how I pronounced this show Only because earlier. you sound so posh. Well, it is posh. It's <laughs> Sooty. Sooty. The Sooty Show. So sooty. The Sooty, the sooty Show uh, premiered on BBC in the 1950s, I believe 1954? 1955. Close. And ran, um, it ran on BBC for a few years, but then it migrated to ITV. And it ran until 1992. And it was a family thing because it started with... Uh, the main puppeteer and his son took over, but it was basically the main adventures of the puppeteer and his three hand puppets. How he had three <laughs> hand puppets, I don't know, but you had Sooty, Sue, and Sweep. Sooty was a bear, Sue was a panda bear, and Sweep was a dog. How that completes the trio, I don't really know. Okay, and you know, I'm glad you clarified that because I was sitting there when you said Sooty and Sweep, I was thinking Sweep was like a chimney sweep or something, and Sooty yeah. was like. I don't know, a piece of soot. Well, and that's going to be kind of a thing that you're going to notice as a pattern with the British puppets. They have weird names. Now, like, there's... I'm mentioning... Like Basil Brush? Well, that's the thing. I'm mentioning this one specifically from the 50s because it ran for that long. Like, there was also Bill and Ben... Bill and Ben, the power pop... No. Bill and Ben, the flower pop men. And, of of course, there was Basil and Brush. Basil is brill, but I never watched those because I... They weren't on TV when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't remember seeing them. Yeah. I knew of them, yeah. but I never watched them. But Sooty, I remember very fondly. 
Right. And he, the, the three of them are just very simple hand puppets, similar to the Punch and Judy hand puppets. Just a guy's hand up their body and two fingers controlling the head and then the other two controlling the arms. Very simple. They communicate in squeaks and squawks, and that was it. Um, and it was just a... One of the things that I have noticed with in research for this, a lot of the, a lot of the puppet shows stick to a kind of uh, situation comedy right. formula, yeah. which is kind of neat. There's a lot of them. A lot of the kids shows follow the very special episode formula, but still, it's very much the same. Yeah, and then there's some that just get into the cultural zeitgeist. Like the next one I'm going to talk about, Howdy Doody. Howdy Doody. Howdy Doody is like, you listen, say the name Howdy Doody to any boomer. They're going to know who it is. Oh, but, they will lose their minds. And that's the thing with Howdy Doody is I I have never in my life seen an episode of Howdy Doody. Yeah. Actually, until a certain point in time, I didn't know what Howdy Doody was specifically, but I had heard of it. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like he was, he wasn't. Like, the show wasn't on, uh-huh. but the cultural reference was still there, and the theme song, Tara Rabundier, which right. was, you know, Howdy Doody time. Everyone knew, it's like, what time is it, kids? It's Howdy Doody time. And then they sing the theme song, right? right? Yeah. But, you know, he had his uh, human sidekick, Buffalo Bob, Bob Smith. And what's really just fascinating about Howdy Doody is the records and the pioneering that Howdy Doody show actually is is known for. For example, it holds a number of records. It was the first NBC Daily Show to feature live music. You're kidding? No, uh, oh. yeah, no, mind you, that's NBC. NBC, that's, that's yeah. just one. That's just one network. It moved into being transcontinental because it was shot in New York, and it was the first network show to employ a split screen. Because what they did was they had Buffalo Bobber in, in um, New York, and they moved Howdy Doody to Chicago. So they split the screen, and they had them... So they did a simulcast. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it was the first show to do that. Um, and it was also the first show, once it went transcontinental like that, it was actually the first show of the day in many of the markets. Because, as I said earlier... You ended with the national anthem and then whoop, test pattern. So the test pattern would go off and it's like, hey, kids, what time is it? It's Howdy Doody time. So Howdy Doody was actually the first show that people would see to start their, their weekday morning. And what a way to start the morning. I know, um, right? <laughs> so that was 50s? Started in 1947, went to 1960. Ooh, that ran. Yeah. Um, wow. It was, it was wildly popular. So... Going back to Britain, and I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in Britain in the earlier years here, just because this is what I know. <laughs> so I don't know these American puppets. You're going to know, you're going to know this. Everyone over like millennial and up is going to know this one just because there was a resurgence of popularity in the 90s leading up to a live action film directed by Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek. The Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, everyone knows that. Five, four, three, yeah. two, one. Very popular. Very popular. Um, and there, there was a whole slew of these marionette-style shows in the 60s. Um, 
Captain Scarlet and the Mysterion, Stingray, things like yeah. that. But the one that held the most popularity was Thunderbirds. And it was a very interesting show. Okay, very interesting show. I loved watching it as a kid. It's one of those shows that really um, got me, helped get me in further and further into sci-fi. Because right. that's what it is. It takes place in 2065. It revolves around spaceships and magical flying pink cars. So, well, not actually magical, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so, yeah, set in the year 2065, the show followed the Tracy family, who were also international rescue as they traveled, well, internationally and rescued people. Just what it says on the tin. Um and they used their advanced Thunderbird technology, their advanced vehicles to rescue people. Mm -hmm. And they had a, they had two spaceships, which means, you know, they were really advanced. They had a space station. They had a big green plane thing that could deploy uh, submersible. It really cool stuff. I, I had a bunch of die-cast figures when I was a kid, or toys. They weren't figures because they weren't people, but still. Um, and I had all, all five Thunderbirds. It came in a gift set, and it was I loved it. And, yeah. It would, that set would not be released today because there was too many pointy parts. But anyway, I, 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 I digress. Um, they also came into conflict with their arch nemesis, the Hood, and often got bailed out of trouble by Lady Penelope and uh, her very pink Rolls Royce Fab One. I love this show so much. And if you look at it, even looking at it when I was a kid, it was cheesy, it was static, it looked bad, but it was just a lot of fun. And... Even though it was bad, I did enjoy the live-action film, too. Yeah, but, you know, back in its day, in the 1960s, I don't think it would have looked bad to them. I, no, back in the day, I don't think it did look bad. Because, honestly, you didn't really have... An, like, you look at the other puppetry shows that we're talking about right right now. You didn't really have... Um, I, what style of puppet was Howdy Doody? He was a marionette. He was a marionette. Yeah. But he wasn't doing the same things that these marionettes were doing. Right. They were trying to portray... They weren't portraying a, a, a comedy. They were trying to portray real-life situations with marionettes. Yeah. As if these were real people. Yeah, because they were doing an adventure show. Yeah. And that was really the neat part and probably one of the more um, interesting aspects of the show to me. Yeah. Again, I loved it. Um, one of I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go to a show that's a little, or a movie... That's a little bit more adult-themed, but I won't get too far into it. I think it. I know what you're talking about. Trey so, Parker and Matt Stone. So let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> Trey Parker and Matt Stone were given a first-look deal at Universal. For those who don't <laughs> know what a first-look deal is, they um, they got to look at a script, and they got to choose what script they wanted to do. Well, they came across a script for a little movie called The Day After Tomorrow. <laughs> what they didn't know is that the movie was, was spoken for, but they read it and went, oh my God, you know what would be amazing? If we did this movie with marionettes, like Thunderbirds, yeah. and Universal said, no, but you know what? If you want to do that, do whatever you want. Just write your own movie. That's fine. And so they did, and so released one of the grossest films ever. Theme America. World Police. And I would love to sing the theme song, but I can't. And that's probably for the best. <laughs> Speaking of the 1960s, this is a little bit later, later 60s, early 70s. Um, and it's very psychedelic in my research. I mean, I grew up watching this, so I mean, I, I'm well-versed in it. And that's the city, Sid and Marty Croft. What I didn't know was that Sid and Marty, I can't say it today. Sid, Sid and, Ma and Marty Croft were actually Canadian brothers. 
I didn't know they were Canadian. I thought they were completely American. And they were these creators of, of kids' shows and puppeteers. Now, Sid and Marty Croft came up with all kinds of really great shows, the biggest being H.R. Puff and stuff, Lidsville, Sigmund the Sea Monster, um, uh, Land of the Lost. They did Banana Splits as well, right? Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. And, you know, just tons and tons of things, right? But the star power behind that, because these puppets were different kind of puppets. These were the, the big puppets that actors would be in in suits, you know, like Big Bird and and that sort of stuff, right? So sort of doing these puppets within there. And there would be one or two humans that would interact with them. So in H&R Puffin stuff, you had Jack Wilde and Billy Hayes' Witchy Poo, one of the most iconic characters ever. But the amount of big-name talent that they had in their shows at that time, I, I compiled a list. You've got our friend Butch Patrick, Eddie Munster from the Munsters. Mm-hmm. And he is no stranger to working with big puppets because, let's face it, Spot is one of the biggest puppets to ever grace the screen. Their pet dragon. You know, and you would either see Spot as just the tail or his head underneath the, the stairs lifting up and breathing fire. But, I mean, big puppet. So you had Butch Patrick. He was in Lidsville with Charles Nelson Riley, and Billy Hayes. Billy Hayes played Witchy Boo, and in Lidsville she played uh, the genie. And Martha Ray and Jack Wilde, like these were big, big names that were in these children's shows. But what cracked me up is because it's at a time where everything is psychedelic. You know, the cartoons are psychedelic. The clothing is psychedelic. There's a lot of LSD being done, you know. And so the question was asked, were they on drugs? Were Sid and Marty Croft on drugs? And I love the response uh, from, <laughs> from Marty Croft. He says, no drugs were involved. You can't do drugs when you're making shows. Maybe after, but not during. We're bizarre. That's all. <laughs> I did not know they were Canadian. No, that I didn't either. And comes, it just yeah. was fantastic to, to know that, right? And so I just, I loved growing up with this. And honestly, like H.R. Puffin stuff was so big, it actually got a big screen movie. And Mama Cass from Mamas and the Papas was in that movie playing one of the witches. And she does this really great song and everything else. But you also look at something like The Land of the Lost. We still talk about the ski stacks today, right? Mm -hmm. And they did a big screen movie kind of retro with Will Ferrell doing The Land of the Lost. So let, let's talk about Land of the Lost just for a second. Sure. So when I moved over here, there was a revival series of The Land of the Lost, a brand new series on TV, um, just prior to Jurassic Park, actually. Last, honestly, I think it lasted like half a season. But man, I love dinosaurs. And when I found this thing, I was like, oh my <laughs> God, yes! <laughs> so yeah, that was the thing. And yeah, then they did the live action movie. Honestly, the sleaze stacks were terrifying. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Okay, so the revival didn't, because it didn't last long enough, they didn't get to the sleaze stacks. But I remember shame. seeing images like, short videos and whatnot, including the Slee Stacks in them when I was a kid, and like, whoa. Well, yeah, I mean, the, if you don't know, the Slee Stacks were these alien lizard men. It was such a bizarre thing because it's a father, and his, he's an anthropologist. He's with his kids. They, they're whitewater rafting. There's an earthquake. There's waterfall. They go over the waterfall, and they wind up in the land of the lost, which is has dinosaurs. It's a microcosm, and it has these... Alien Sleestacks. Yep. So, 
I'm just going to bring one more. I'm just going to bring that up one more time just because it's one of my favorite pieces of trivia. So you mentioned Will Ferrell was in the live action movie. Yeah. The characters from the original series were Marshall, Will, and Holly. Mm-hmm. Will Ferrell was a state marshal in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Marshall, Will, and Holly. <laughs> I love that so much. You have no idea how much I love I, that. I, uh, I have trouble with it because I wanted a dramatic Land of the Lost movie, not a silly comedy, but... Yeah, yeah, I whatever. get that. It, it, it keeps it alive. It keeps it alive. So, moving into the 70s and going back to Britain, oh boy, um, uh, Rod Hull. Rod Hull was a comedian and entertainer, um, spent a good chunk of his life in Britain, or in Australia, I should say, moved back to Britain, and perpetrated this puppet upon the, the, the population of Britain. Emu. If you don't know what or who Rod Hull and Emu are, let me tell you. <laughs> now, first and foremost, they were legit pop culture icons at the time in Britain because they were everywhere. You could find them on talk shows. They were on World of Sports. They were on Bullseye. Like, literally everywhere. It was a comedian and his emu puppet. And his hand was the emu. Yeah. And it, so it's it, like a sock puppet. Right? Oh, no, no, no. It was this big, ornate emu that took up his entire hand. Kind of, Yes, in the style of a sock yeah. puppet, yes. Um, but he had a, a false hand underneath it to make it look like he was holding the emu. Right. And the whole shtick, the whole thing that made it funny was that he would sit there and nip and bite at people. <laughs> and actually, funnily enough, he was on a talk show one night with Billy Connolly. Oh my gosh. Uh, Billy Connolly, the famed Scottish comedian. Yeah. And Billy Connolly grabbed him by, well, he grabbed Emu by the neck and said, if that bird bites me one more time, I'm going to break its neck. <laughs> there may have been more swearing involved. Uh, don't mess with yeah. Scott. So then that's the thing though. Like I remember there was a cartoon and it just, it was just this weird thing. Like it was all about the deceit of the, of, of the act, right? Because right. he, he, he did his best to make it look like this was an actual thing. And I think that's what made it so popular because honestly, and the timing, hey, he was good. At, he's he was good with his timing, right? But I cannot, for the life of me, imagine any other reason why this would have become such a big thing, right? And it's like, but anyway, it was. I remember. I remember. Um, I was born close to the end of the run with Emu because, like I said, seventies to eighties, and it kind of died off, right? But I remember seeing him on talk shows. I remember seeing him everywhere. I remember seeing the cartoon and just being like, okay, this is funny. Yeah, I, I gotta go back a little bit because I wanna talk about um Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Right, yeah. Okay. So Edgar Bergen is the father of Candace Bergen. Yes. All right. So can you imagine being Candace Bergen and growing up with this puppet? Okay, this ventriloquist dummy, which is very sophisticated. Kind of looks like Mr. Peanut. He's got a monocle and the top hat. and He is... Charles McCarthy is what you think of when you think of a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. He is the... Like, he is the the prototype for dummies like Slappy from Goosebumps yeah. and all that. Yeah. Because the, that's the thing. Like, he, he comes from that vaudeville era, right? Yeah. But Candace Berg is growing up with this puppet, which is basically 
her brother. Like it's it's very very weird in a way. I mean, there's a great deal of affection, of course. I was just told today, like this morning, that apparently she hated that puppet because <laughs> that puppet got to go on trips with dad, and yeah. she couldn't. Right. So she, or maybe not hated, but she was she, like, I don't jealous. understand. Yeah, yeah, she had problems. Well, with yeah. It. Well, can you imagine though being a little girl and there's this. Living to you, puppet in your house that is taking all of your father's attention. And let, let's talk a little bit. You've got, uh, Ren, you've got a great anecdote about this is the way children, not just the like children that work with these puppets, mm -hmm. how they perceive them on set. You were mentioned about E.T. Yeah, in E.T., there had to be a whole entire person hired to perform as E.T. when they weren't filming because Drew Barrymore thought something was wrong that E.T. wasn't responding yeah, to her. she was, like, not very old. No, right? she was four only, or like, five, four or five at I'm time. guessing. Oh, she was a little older than four, I think. But, yeah, she was just, like, around yeah, that area. but she thought that E.T. was alive. Yeah. And when he wouldn't respond when they were off, like, outside of the camera, she would get very upset. Yeah. So they had to hire someone to move E.T. around when the filming wasn't happening. Yeah. Just to make her happy. Yeah, she's actually Which, told that story. Which yeah. is adorable. That's yeah. amazing that they did it. But one of the reasons I wanted to bring up Charlie McCarthy, though, is because it brings me into some of the puppets that are just kind of amazing. They were still around when I was uh, growing up. And one of the biggest ones is from a ventriloquist by the name of Waylon Flowers and his puppet, Madam. What was fascinating about Madam is that she could go either way in... The delivery of the jokes. The jokes would be the same, but you could tell the jokes to an adult audience with adult language, or you can tell the joke with it not being salty. So one of the jokes that they had was that um, Madam would say about Waylon Flowers, he's no ventriloquist and I'm no dummy. But if it was an adult audience, I'm no bleeping dummy, <laughs> you know? So, but what was fascinating about Madam is that it's one of the first times that we actually see, even though it's billed as Waylon Flower and Madams, it was all about Madam. Waylon Flowers became invisible. He didn't exist. People would talk to Madam as if Madam was a real live person. And she became this huge celebrity. She would start, like, there'd be these talk shows where they're just talking to Madam and Waylon's over here. And then you know, the, they would realize, oh, yeah, Waylon's here. Maybe we should talk to him, too. And it was odd because there were times as it went on, Waylon completely disappeared. You're on the Hollywood Squares, and there's just Madam. So he's below and doing the whole Madam thing. And it was so fascinating because it's the first time I ever remember where a puppet was the celebrity. You know, as a connoisseur of pop culture, I always look for stuff that inspires other stuff. And every, as a comic book fan, everything that you're telling me tells me that the ventriloquist from Batman was inspired, at least in part, by Will and Flowers and Madam. Because if you look at the ventriloquist in Scarface, 
that is the exact same relationship they have. It's it's a possibility. I don't know. I mean, uh, Madam started in 1964. Um, the the golden era of Madam kind of ended in 1988 when Waylon Flowers passed away at the tender age of like 48, something like that. But he disappeared so much, and Madam came forward so much, almost like magic, you know, with uh, Anthony Hopkins, you know, yeah. where the the puppet became its own entity. And it's like, who's controlling who? Is the puppet controlling the ventriloquist? The ventriloquist controlling puppet. So Madam became so much in the forefront that Wayland Flowers actually said this, that he preferred to be known as an illusionist rather than a ventriloquist. That, and that makes sense. And that also ties into, if you look at um, uh, Hull that I mentioned earlier, yeah. it was all about the deceit. It's all about, all about the illusion, right? Yeah. And you can kind of see, I, I guess that's probably a big part, when you think about it, of puppetry. Yeah. Of making the illusion that this creature that is not real, real. Yeah, but I mean, this, this is what I'm talking about. Because like when you had the, the whole idea of Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, they were a team. When you think about our modern-day ventriloquists, they're a team. Willie Tyler and Lester, you know, like, they, they're a team. They, Jeff Dunham and Peanut. Yeah, they, they talk back and forth. Mm-hmm. With Madam. They were talking to Madam, and Madam would talk. And, you know, unless they actually addressed Waylon Flowers, Madam and Waylon never talked to each other. And, and I know we're not talking about it, but that is very similar to Jim Henson's and his crew and the Muppets. Yeah. But the difference is that they're actually being actual puppets, right? Yeah. Like you don't see the puppeteer. You saw yeah, the puppeteer. That's true. You saw the puppeteer. And, you know, Madam might look at Waylon, Waylon might talk, but they wouldn't talk really to Madam each other. Madam was truly the star. Yeah, she was She was a huge diva. And the thing of it is, like, you think that she went away, but they tried to revive her numerous times, depending on who had the rights to use her. So there was a number of comedians that were sort of charged with the task to bring Madam to life. And I didn't realize that even as recently as last year, 2022, they were doing things with Madam. She actually has not disappeared. And one of the things that surprised me, both in awe and terror because of the way it, it looked, RuPaul's Drag Race did a season of former winners. Right. Right. So Raja was, I think, like, winner of season two or something like sure, that. yeah. So they do the Snatch Game where they imitate celebrities. Raja decided to dress up as Madam. I can tell you, one, he was spot on. Nice. He even had the sticks for the arms. and Seriously? You know, yeah, he had the mannerisms of a puppet and everything like that. But the makeup, although it was spot on and incredible... It was also kind of terrifying seeing Madam that big. You know what I mean? I've seen horror films where they have some, like a human done up as a ventriloquist. And yeah, it gets creepy. Yeah. That is definitely material for scary movies. <laughs> so where, where are we at right now? We at 80s now? Still in the 70s? Uh, no, I, I, I really should. Th- this one is king. This one is huge. Got to talk about this one. Ed Sullivan Show. I, I know that there's people out there that are maybe the boomer age, maybe my mom's age, that are just going, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Topo Gijo. Topo Gijo, I thought, because I'd only ever heard of him, 
from the Ed Sullivan show. Ed Sullivan had this huge variety show, Sunday nights. Elvis was on, the Beatles were on, everybody was on. And everybody has heard that imitation of Ed Sullivan. We got a really big shoe here for you tonight. You know, he had a certain way of talking. Topo Gijo was this lovable little mouse. He was a puppet, but he was a puppet from Italy. And he has this huge following over in Italy. The Christmas that, mouse. That I didn't know about. It's massive. And he is still huge throughout Europe, throughout South America. It's a Christmas mouse. It's amazing. And the, the thing is, it was so cute and he was so adorable that when he appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, he just kept appearing. And that sort of brought him to uh, the nor North America and exploded him into the world. And what was so amazing about Topo Gijo is that he had this wonderful little catchphrase. It was, it's so adorable. Look up the picture. He's so adorable looking. But he's got this Italian voice, right? Because it's Italian puppeteers doing them. And what's amazing about it is this catchphrase. It's like, Eddie, kiss me goodnight. <laughs> it's so adorable. And it's I, I kind of am jealous I wasn't in that era to watch Topo Gijo live. But Topo Gijo has had animated uh, series based on him. And he's still going. The latest one was last year in 2022. He's still huge in other parts of the world. Because he's their version of Santa Claus. Well, the Christmas mouse goes with Santa and drops up all the gifts. I don't know if Topo... Well, you know, he might be because he, there is that reference in the Santa, in the Santa Claus, Claus. With Tim yeah. Allen where they're saying... There's a Christmas what, what mouse you, in yeah, Europe. what are your names, right? And he's like, yeah, oh, Bona Patel. Oh, then, my then, God. Yes, he's we just blew your mind. The Christmas mouse. Right there. That's then what Tim I'm telling Al you. Yeah, Tim Allen imitates... Uh, 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 Chris Kringle. Ed Sullivan. Topo Gijo. Yeah. What's your yeah. name? Topo <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. So, I mean, this is what I mean. These these puppets don't just stay within their shows. They give these these lives and guest appearances and cultural references and you, just everywhere, right? It's just, it's astounding. One uh, iconic puppet that we didn't mention yet from the 70s, 80s-ish, even now, Yoda. <laughs> from the 80s. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely yeah, from, from the 80s. The 80s. Um, right. Yes. So Frank Oz is one of the most prolific puppeteers, voice actors out there. Um, preliminary uh, prison warden from the Blues Brothers movies. But still, he's he's been Yoda forever. Uh, up until even uh, The Last Jedi. And... Uh, the, f the first time we see Yoda, and I'm going to say this, I was a kid the first time I saw Empire Strikes Back, like a small child. It didn't, at no point, at no point did it occur to me that that was a puppet. I thought it was a, a little man in makeup because the movements were so realistic and the way Frank Oz made, like, voiced him. Yeah. He looks so real. Well, Frank Oz kind of moved away. He still was part of Jim Henson's studios. Yeah. But, I mean, he was doing, like, he directed Little Shop of Horrors, and that is, like, probably one of the greatest puppets ever created for film, Audrey too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that thing's massive. Um, and all the variations from, you know, just the little bud to, yeah. you know, the Maxwell coffee can that everybody's familiar with. I mean, like, just a fantastic puppeteer um and speaking of the 80s we can't talk about the 80s which we don't talk about elf yeah 
Yeah, so Alf. Um, I loved Alf as a kid. Oh, I didn't love Alf. I, I, it's not here. I still have my Alf plushie from when I was a kid. Oh, I, yeah. I love that. I've got my Alf plushie, too. I'm never going to get rid of it. No. Alf, I've still got this little spaceship box he came in. Nice. Yeah, I know, because I was old enough to realize it's like, man, this is going to be valuable. I'm not going to get rid of it. So I had two stuffies when I was, well, I had more than two stuffies when I was a kid, but um, Postman Pat and Alf. <laughs> Whenever I walked around with Postman Pat and Alf, I'd be holding them by the nose and dragging them along the ground. Well, you know what was interesting about Alf, though, is the fact that the show itself only ran four seasons. Now, Alf yeah. continued on after. There was a cartoon. Yeah, and because he was just a pop culture phenomenon at that that time. And I'm trying to remember if it was, I mean, we, we talked about Kukla, Fran, and Molly. So this is one of those things where it's the first time I remember a sitcom being based around a puppet. I I can't speak to that because that is a deep dive. Yeah, yeah I don't want to do a deep dive into it, but it's, it's the first time I remember. There's probably ones that came before. But it's the first time I remember. But the thing about Elf is that it's a lot darker than people realize. Yeah. We all really know the story. We know the story that, that Elf uh, is following a radio signal to the Tanner house that Willie has sent up there. And he crashes and the spaceship is kind of broken and whatever. And they don't know what to do. They've got this alien life form. and But he's he can speak English and he can talk to them. And, and he, he wants can, to eat cats. He wants to eat the cat. He wants to eat Lucky. Uh, he's after his lucky charms, I guess, but um, you just have this pop culture phenomenon. But what I mean for that is, even though Elf had that catchphrase of, ha, I kill me, after he do a really great joke, but the thing of it is, when you look at Elf, it gets really dark in its, not in the humor, but in the subtext of it. Yeah. Because it's an allegory for the nuclear wars, because that's how Melmot got destroyed was nuclear weapons. That's how his, his home planet got blown up, and he's afraid that that's going to happen here on Earth because mm-hmm. that Cold War was going on in the 80s between Russia and America with all the nuclear weapons, and should there be disarmament and Gorbachev and Reagan and all that kind of stuff. But it gets even deeper than that mm-hmm. because Elf, the actual character, is homeless. Yeah. Not only that... But it becomes this whole idea of a family unit rallying around a family member and accepting the fact that this family member is dealing with depression, is lashing out in various ways that is not familiar with them. They're dealing with loneliness. They're dealing with survivor guilt, boredom, and despair. And you don't really see that as a young person watching it. And it doesn't come across because they don't put it on the nose. But it's that whole idea of we can't expose this person as we try to support them to other people. Like the Akmonics, they're always hiding him from the neighbors. Even though Mrs. Akmonic would see him occasionally and realize how strange and different he was. And then eventually the grandmother comes in and is revealed to Alf. And it's almost like we're saying, hey, Grandma, we have this child who is different and who has special needs, and we're bringing them into you to help you understand and 
Yeah, I know, right? I, honestly, I really wish you hadn't told me any of that because that makes the ending of the show so much worse. Because you know how it ends. Yeah. Alf is on a slab caught by the government. Like, oh. But it was funny. It was Yes, funny. hilarious. And I think when you think about that, we do a really, really good job of it. You know, because it did then did bring up all of these things. And then the, the beauty of it, though, is like after all of that, right? Alf is appearing on Hollywood Squares and he's got the cartoon on his days yeah. of Melmac and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's so interesting and to see all that, the merchandise. that people can actually be in pain emotionally, but cover it up with humor and cover it up in, in, in different ways. And it's that whole subtext of Alf is really brilliant. And I realize that there are people out there who are probably crying who probably didn't realize this... I don't want to say darker side, but this more emotional side to the subject matter. Well, and that, that's always the thing with comedy, right? A lot, a lot of times comedy is there to help us deal with the darker stuff. Um, well, moving away from that, <laughs> back over... Do you need a moment? I might. No, no, no. <laughs> we're we're going to go back over the, the pond. and we're, we're, I don't believe I have to follow this with that. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm not spooking Uncle John for now. <laughs> Bodger and Badger. Bodger and Badger was a, a puppet show in the 80s in Britain that I apparently remember now that I did research for this. This is the one I was talking about earlier. I had no memory of this until I started doing research. I'm like, the mashed potato with Dick and Badger, right? <laughs> so Bodger and Badger... Followed the man. The, I, I can't remember if he was the puppeteer. But um, Bodger and Badger followed their misadventures. And Badger got into hijinks. And he was addicted to mashed potatoes. Well, he wasn't addicted. But he <laughs> loved mashed potatoes. He loved mashed potatoes. So there's that. I, I, very, I now very vaguely remember it. But it's, you know, it ran for quite some time in Britain. Speaking of things that ran a long time, Ren, I know you got one of your favorite properties on your list. Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> I grew up on this TV show. Again, explains a lot. So much. So, <laughs> uh, a man is launched into, a sa into space on a satellite for a company, and he's lonely, so he makes friends, which yeah. happen to be robots. The satellite of love. The satellite of love, yes. <laughs> um, so he makes robots. He has Cambot, who videotapes everything. Gypsy, who pilots the ship. Crow, who tries to tunnel to Earth. And Tom Servo, who just backtalks everybody. And oh, Tom Servo. On, for the science experiments run by the company, uh, he has to watch horrible, horrible... I don't even want to call them B-movies. These are like the worst movies ever. And they mock it the entire time. Yeah. Um, it's the same same guys now do riff tracks. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's kind of like um, Elvira's uh, show, but for science fiction. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that one was great. They were awesome puppets with the little two ping pong ball eyes and the literally just a... Oh, Gum yeah. machine. I'm, I'm Gumball machine. I'm pretty sure everybody's seen them. Exactly. If they yeah. haven't seen the show. So, yeah, that kind of... That was 1988. 
um, which kind of brings us into like the 90s. The 90s. And I remember a whole lot of kids shows from the 90s. Um, So we have like, uh, I remember Gullah Gullah Island, which I guess you guys don't. Yeah, they had this giant yellow frog. (laughs) <laughs> and they sang songs, taught things and stuff. I don't know. It was great. I loved it. Are I you sure it's not a fever dream? I still... No, I looked it up on Google. I know it exists. Because I, I still... There's, there's this one kid show on when I was a kid. And I, I, I still say it's a fever dream. I can't remember... All, oh, yes, I do. I remember the, all their names. They, they were named after currency. It's, no, it was really weird. Because it was... The host was Bill. And the co-host was Mr. Nickel. Uh-huh. And they had a little puppet named Penny. I swear I'm not making that oh. up. I don't. I swear I'm not making that up, but uh, that's why I have to ask. Is it a fever dream? Because I don't think the go, giant yellow frog was a fever dream. But <laughs> was it a frog? Hemoth? It was just a frog. Okay. It was giant and it was yellow. It was Jabba's illegitimate child. Anyway, so that bear in the big blue house. I loved bear in the big blue. I loved bear in the big blue house. It was it was great. Like it was more of like my brother's thing to watch because I was a little older for that part but like the big giant bear and now I can go back and be like it's the mouse I love the mouse I was in my late 20s I was working like the 7 to 3 shift right so I'd get home like around 3 34 o'clock bear in the big blue house was on and I would just sit there and go you know I'm grimy from working in the factory I'm gonna have a wash up I'm gonna just sit there in my house coat butts on oh Okay, kids shows. All right, whatever. And then, I, I, I don't want to watch Teletubbies because that's a nightmare. And, and and I came across Bear in the Big Blue House. And so that that was my half hour of relaxing, mm-hmm. just watching this. Because it was a it was wonderful so kids show. So calm. I absolutely loved it. But on YouTube, there's this, this outtake where there's these little puppets. There's a mouse and a little... Uh-huh. Or whatever, and they are swearing their <gasps> yes! their heads off, oh, and they it. they go off, and they call each other names and everything. And Bear is just sitting there. What? <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, another really big popular one that um, I don't know. I know most people have seen it, but Zabubafu. Oh Zubafu? yeah, Zabubafu. Yeah, Zabubafu. I was an older kid. I'd say probably around twelve, thirteen. Yeah, when I saw that. Um, I loved it. Uh, it, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of a spinoff of Kratz Creatures. Like, I remember watching Kratz Creatures when I was a kid. John just went, what? It's so, the Kratz I'm sorry, I was an adult at certain times. So, the, the Kratz had their own show before they had Zabumafu. And it was just them traveling around the world, doing, talking about animals, teaching about animals. Mm-hmm. But then they did Zabumafu, where they had Zabumafu. And they did the same thing, but with a puppet. It was great. He was yeah. a lemur, wasn't it he? Was, he was a lemur, and sometimes he was a puppet. Sometimes he was an actual lemur. Yeah. But, like, other animals would come in, and they'd teach all these facts about animals. And I don't know. It was entertaining as anything, and I loved watching Honestly, it. Honestly, and... Zabumafu was much better than the original show. It really was. Like, oh. the, the, the the addition of that I puppet character. I think the Crap Brothers are still doing stuff. They like are just, they really? They just came out with something on, like, maybe on YouTube a oh. few years ago. Well, good for them. Um, Yeah, because they're still teaching. It's just now they're somewhat directed more towards adults. Nice. I'm happy for um, them. So, yeah. I'm sure there's a ton that we are not mentioning. Oh, um, there's got to be. We're going to... Oh, there's a ton we haven't mentioned. Well, I mean, this is... This is scratching the surface of some of the ones that were really, really, really famous. 
So going into the 90s, um, two shows I really remember. No, okay, one's not necessarily a show. You've got the Fuzz Paws. The Fuzz Paws were a um, kind of a staple on YTV and Treehouse Television during the 90s. They were, I don't really want to use the term, but for lack of a better term, they were off-brand Muppets. And they were just cute, funny characters with different personalities that showed up as uh, um, hosts for the television shows until they eventually got their own show. Um, they all had their own unique designs, and it was great. It was cute, whatever. Uh, but then you had Big Comfy Couch, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we all know Big Comfy Couch. Yeah. Um, you had Lunette and her dolly, Molly. Molly was a little doll um, that would communicate through just movement or thought bubbles. Um, and she, she was quite sassy sometimes. <laughs> but, like, that, that's the thing. Like, there was a lot of... And that ran for 10 years. I didn't realize that. And they did a revival as well. Um, but, like, that's the thing. is Like, Canadian uh, kid shows can be really, really interesting. Really, they're very creative yeah. in, their, in their execution. Like, you have other ones, like Rufus the Dog, um, Groundling Marsh... Uh, even Dudley the Dragon. By the way, in Dudley the Dragon, uh, Canadian television and film legend Graham Greene plays a tree. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. See, indeed. you even know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, Dudley course. the Dragon. I love. Okay, I love that one. Um, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to kids programs because I didn't even mention the Friendly Giant, which had like puppets uh, Jerome, which is a giraffe, and yep. Rusty the Rooster, who lived in this little bag and wore pajamas that would hang out with the Friendly Giant. Yeah. Like, there's so many different ones throughout the 90s that it's, um, the, the TV was changing during the 90s. Yeah. And there was a lot of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks. Well, yeah, because it was the, somewhere in the late 80s and then early 90s is when Fox came out, right? And yeah. they did a lot of, let's throw and see what sticks. Yeah, exactly. Now, moving into the 2000s, that's more around your era, Ren, right? I mean, I was absorbing media in 2000s compared to whatever my parents put on TV, yeah. Making my own choices. Um, you, you're allowed to make your own choices? Sometimes. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to talk about one of my absolute favorite musicals in the entire world that I still love to this day, and I want them to bring it back and tour because I missed it the last five times they toured. Avenue Q. Oh, yes. Um, so... Came out in 2003, winner of 2004 Tony Awards for Best Musical, Best Score, and Best Book. Um, It was telling the story of basically the knockoff Sesame Street. Um, And told the story of Princeton, a bright-eyed college grad who moves into the neighborhood of Avenue Q. Uh, And there he meets a whole bunch of... Puppets and humans that all live there, including we got Trekkie, we got Gary Coleman as the superintendent, um, Kate Monster, and uh, Lucy, the friendly woman of the night. Um, We'll put it that way. Uh, But yeah, so that one was always entertaining, rated R for puppet nudity. And... um, (laughs) <laughs> legit that's what it says um you don't get to speak you you watched happy time murder and i enjoyed it have you never listened to avenue q i've heard some of the songs i haven't listened to all the way through my god 
Oh, anyway, um, they had all kinds of ones. They had like some of the puppets with the rods. They had some of the puppets that were two, two people working them. They had the moving boxes, which are just like boxes with flaps, so more like a ventriloquist right. dummy, or just open and closed. Um, Rod and Nikki were, of course, the uh, two people that were maybe gay, maybe not gay, that lived in an apartment together. Trekkie, so the Bert and Ernie. Yeah. Okay. Trekkie had a super deep voice and obsessed with the internet. Um, oh, I know that song. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it. I don't know, it was basically, for sure, Sesame Street, but for adults. And it was wonderful and great, and I absolutely love it. And now I'm very sad to find out that you've never heard it. So that's I've change. heard some of the songs. Um, but they even did stuff I like the internet one. They did like Wicked. They did versions of Wicked. Yeah, where they did um, it was Kate Monster and Trekkie doing Popular. It was so good. Oh my god, this is one of the top musicals. I absolutely loved it. And again, it was um, what a Tony didn't it? It won. Yeah, it won three Tonys: yeah. musical, score, and book. Um, but then they had. What was it like they were just on stage and the actors and actresses could be seen? They were just wearing all black, didn't try to hide right. them or anything, and just I don't know. It was it was wonderful and great, and some of the best songs. And groundbreaking it, at the time. Yeah, and it taught me a German word that I still use to this day. So can you say it on our uh, podcast? Yeah, Schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah. It's um. Yeah. It was used in The Simpsons too. Yeah. Yeah, it was happiness at other people's misfortunes. <laughs> I use it a lot. Um. But then also, I can attest to that. Speeding up a little bit to two thousand nine, we have Jeff Dunham, <laughs> um, who's a U.S. ventriloquist. Obviously, I think everybody's seen his stuff online. No, no Jeff Dunham was before two thousand nine. I remember watching him on Just for Laughs. Well, technically, in... that's okay. So two thousand nine is when he got big. He started ventriloquy when he was nine. Oh, geez. By university, he was making a lot of money. Um. Uh, inspired by Charlie McCarthy and uh, Mortimer Snurd. Yeah, Mortimer Snurd. He toured all over the world, obviously including like Israel and Saudi Arabia, Denmark, UK, China. Uh, He has a Guinness World Record for like one of the biggest shows. Um, Has puppets that we are still quoting today as... Jeffafa. Jeffafa, yeah. Despite how annoying... Despite how annoying he may have been to many of us in high school. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, he was a big, big part of it. And he kind of brought Van Froegley back to a forefront. And... Yeah, because, I mean, there's Terry Fader. There's Darcy Lynn now. Yeah. Then, yeah. There's a lot of people that come out of that. And... The first, I think it was, I saw him years and years ago, back in the mid-90s. It was with Peanut. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Who is this guy? I need to find him. And I never found him again until the yeah. early 2000s. But then I saw Walter. <laughs> and I love Walter. One of Walter's jokes has always stuck with me because I'm a terrible person. I've got a tattoo of a beautiful woman. Where'd you put it? On my wife's face. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. So so Jeff Dunham is no Sharon Lewis with Glam Job. No. Oh. Um, actually, at one point, I just found this out while I was doing the research. Um, he went to, like, Israel and Saudi Arabia area and was asked not to have Ahmed come out. Right. Um, so he came up with Jacques Merd. Merd? <laughs> uh, the dead French terrorist who just had a French chapeau. 
instead of a turban. Um, and that was allowed. That was perfectly fine. Right. So, you know. You know, I think that was, I, I just briefly mentioned Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop. I think that was really one of the saddest days when Sherry Lewis died and there was no more Lamb Chop. And, and you know what, you know what gets me? Is Lamb Chop is still around, but. Lamb Chop will never die. But you can get Lamb Chop and it's like, I, I don't think that was the intention. As a doggy chew toy. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> Let me tell you. It squeaks Let too. T- we at work, this is going back a few years, but all of a sudden, one of my co-workers, and we're in a call center, by the way, started singing, this is the song. Oh, that, no. And oh. it doesn't stop. The song that never ends. Yeah. Like, let, let's face it, there are some people that have an impression on pop culture, and then there's somebody that stomps her foot down in pop culture, stamps it down, leaves a yeah. permanent mark, and then, yeah, it's there. The Lamb Chop is that one. Yeah, but what I loved about Lamb Chop was that she was so sassy. She was a sassy little sheep. Yeah. I remember watching Lamb Chop, like Lamb Chop all the time. Can't remember yeah. a thing about the TV show. No. Oh, other no. than Lamb Chop and it had kids and like, that's all I can remember from it. But I know yeah. I watched but it. But it's interesting, Bill, because uh, Sherry Lewis with Lamb Chop was actually a ventriloquist first and then the show came after. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. she was oh, just I- that sort of entertaining thing. Like, again, getting back to uh, all the ones that we mentioned and uh, Waylon Flowers with Madam was around that same kind of era. But, guys, I know we're running long because there are a lot of puppets out there, but I cannot be spooky Uncle John without mentioning a couple of them. In the Hilarious House of Frightenstein Canadian Kids Show with Vincent Price, there was this puppet. John Miori is going to love me for mentioning it. Harvey Wallbanger ran the post office at Frankenstone. Harvey Wallbanger. I have no idea what kind of monster he was supposed to be, but he would take the pee right out of the count you know, every time that he was there. And he's like, of course, he's named after liquor, right? Yeah. And of course, there's this wonderful show. I only saw one season. I found it on Tubi TV, and that was Transylvania TV. Oh, yes. And like, there, there's the thing. Like, we could we could sit here and... Deep dive, we can go into the annals of puppet history. We can talk about puppets that are um that are performing now that are that could eventually become pop culture history. Yeah. Like Randy Feltface, for example. <laughs> but that I'll show you a video after. I'll show you a video after. I wish you could see right. my face, folks. Um that's funny. <laughs> um but yeah, like there's so many. For us to go over that we will probably have more shows like this yes. in the future. But here's the final one for today. I have to do this or my name isn't Spooky Uncle John. The Crypt Keeper. Oh, yeah. Tales from the Crypt. Great show. I love that show. I I love, I would have been happy with a Crypt Keeper movie. Not like a Tales from the Crypt movie, but like a yeah, movie like about, and, yeah, yeah, but like an actual movie about the Crypt Keeper. You know, it's 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 so fascinating because Tales of the Crypt, of course, is from comics, right? Yeah. And there was a Tales of the Crypt movie done with yes. the more traditional comic Crypt Keeper. Yeah. And I think it was like in the 1970s or whatever, right? So this Crypt Keeper, I mean, what did it come on? Like Saturday night or Friday night? It would or be Saturday like nights, yeah. Friday or Saturday night. And you get that theme song and you just go with it. And it's become so popular that it 
gets a cartoon. Mm-hmm. I think it was Saturday morning cartoon. Saturday morning cartoon, Tales, Tales from the Crypt Keeper. And I, I love that. I just saw this meme uh, today about the Crypt Keeper. It shows the Crypt Keeper with a book, of course. And it says, uh, when I was a child, this is who read me my bedtime stories. And, that, and, and I, I sat there and I went, I feel attacked. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you. I put up the picture of Vincent Price doing the end credits from Hilarious House of Frankenstein. He said, "When I was a child, this is who read me my bedtime stories. I win." <laughs> so, Tales from the Crypt was on a point in my life when I should not have been watching that because I was far <laughs> too young. So naturally, I watched it every Saturday night. Um, I loved it. And they're like the star power behind that show. You had people like uh, John Astin, John Lovitz, um, Bob Hoskins, like a well, whole book, slew of different. What was great about it? It was this wonderful tongue in cheek with all this dark humor. Had a, a Christmas album out. Yeah, you know, it was this wonderful dark humor, tongue in cheek anthology series that harkened back to things like the Twilight Zone and uh, Tales from the Dark Side. And, and great things like that. And it was so fresh and so modern, even though Tales of the Crypt had been around a long time as a comic and property. See, Tales from the Crypt is the reason that I love anthology horror films. Mm, one like, of the reasons, com- yeah. For me, completely yeah. the reason. Because I I grew up on it. I love those short horror story type deals. Were you with me at Niagara Falls Comic Con when... Uh, it's John, John Casser? Yeah, when no, John I wasn't, I wasn't there. You missed it. So John Caster's at Niagara Falls Comic Con as the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And every so often over the intercom, you'd hear the Crypt Keeper saying things like, it's, you know. Time. You're kidding. You know, it was awesome. Like, it was, you know, like, go meet this celebrity at this oh, time. Like, I missed that? Yeah. Like, they need to bring John Caster back. That's the perfect use of a voice actor. Right? You already have them at the con. You might as well have them announce things. Oh, yeah. It was great. That is can you imagine if they had at like Ash Ketchum announcing things at uh, London Comic Con? So I'm wondering. I, I wonder who we missed. Aliens. If there's somebody that we missed that was not on the list. Again, we weren't talking about the Muppets or the Jim Henson properties because that's a show unto itself. We just mentioned a few. We mentioned them briefly. But if there's one that we missed that you want to uh, mention to us, Nick, how can our aliens get a hold of us? You can find us on social media. That is Twitter or X or. Ugh that thing, uh, Instagram and TikTok at the Area 51H, Facebook and YouTube by searching for Area 51 and a half. And of course, please give us money. Go to our Patreon. <laughs> we need money, I need pizza. And since we're over time, just one quick question before we sign off. Who's your favorite puppet of all time? Go away. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, come on. Oh, well, honestly, Crypt Keeper. Cryptkeeper? Oh, yeah. Cryptkeeper Yoda. Oh, no, I don't like you. Go away. Tom, Tom Servo. Tom Servo? Yeah. I, 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 you know what? I, I spanned 54 years. It's so hard to pick a favorite. It really is. For me, honestly, and it's a, it's a weird kind of flex because like you would think I would say the Cryptkeeper or Harvey Wallbanner or something like that. But for me, because it was such an important part of my childhood, and I am Canadian, it's Casey Infinity. That's fair. Casey and Finnegan from Mr. Dressup. That is all the time we have for this episode of Area 51 and a Half. Thank you, aliens, for joining us on our landing pad. This is Spooky Uncle John and... Snyder Man 501, Nick Snyder. Pyre Lily, a.k.a. Technomage. 
signing off from Area 51 and a half, and we'll see you in two weeks where we will start our spooky season. Woo! Ren, what are we going to talk about? Vampires. Yeah, fangers. <laughs> hey. Bye for now.